On December 18, 1865, slavery in the U.S. was abolished by the 13th Amendment. On December 19, slavery was no more. But how many still lived as slaves? I can imagine that the panicking plantation owners got creative and made sure that the people don't hear of the new law or maybe understand that the new law, or maybe as people heard that they are free, the people came and said, no, you have misunderstood. You are still living as slaves. You are not living differently. Therefore, you are still slaves. And they panicked and the people were confused. I can imagine that this was a struggle and an identity crisis that they were having. They were free but still struggling with that old lifestyle of slavery. Free but still living as slaves. Does that sound familiar? We are free, but we struggle to know it and to believe it and to live it out. For all we have known till now is slavery. Beloved, the evil one speaks in deception and that is the only language he speaks. He's crafty in his ways. A friend of mine recently said insightfully that the Christian life is a battle of the mind. The things we think about become the things that we believe. And each morning we get out of bed and before we put our feet on the ground, those lies are already coming our way. There's a battle of our minds taking place and we are assuming that we need to do all these things on our own and we become forgetful of the perfect work of Christ. Each morning those lies come and our minds drift because it is not easy or simple to rely on the gospel promises every day. When our thoughts and our feelings say otherwise. For those of you in Christ, how much do you struggle with this? I'm not good enough. You're in Christ, but you repeat that as a broken record in your mind. I'm not not good enough. I'm not good enough of a mother to my children. I'm not good enough in sharing the gospel with my coworkers. I'm not good enough in being generous with my time and money. I'm not good enough in reading and studying the Bible or in caring for others. And with this kind of introspection, we forget to look at Christ. And instead, we assume that we just need to try harder. We need to do more. I should be a better Christian by now. And we see these things and we only hurt ourselves. These are the things we find in self-help books. You need to do more and try harder. It doesn't work, so they write more and more books of the kind. But... Doing more, trying more, trying harder. That is the cry of religion. But that is not what we have. We have the gospel. And instead of trying more, first we need to believe more in the finished work of Christ. And if we are not careful, we go to bed at night, having swung around the merry-go-round of failure, and we go to bed and we say, oh, I failed once more. I ruined my day. I don't know if God will forgive me. Maybe he will give up on me tomorrow. I'm a failure of a Christian. I'm not good enough. I need to try harder. These things we repeat to ourselves and we forget the gospel. And if you have or are struggling with any of those thoughts, from a pastoral heart, I urge you to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist those lies. Imagine there is a room gathered with people who are broken, who are hurting, who have the law on their back, who are weighed down and burdened, repeating to themselves that they are not good enough to be a Christian. And I want you to imagine that the Apostle Paul bursts into the room, and with urgency and zeal at the top of his voice, he exclaims, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation anymore. This is spiritual war we are facing. And we must keep the breastplate of righteousness upon us. So that when lies and confusion and fear come our way, we keep that righteousness of Christ upon us. Because that is how we stand firm before our God. His perfect righteousness is what gives us the joy that we need and the life and the peace. We must know the meaning of this truth so that we can be strong in the Lord and stand firm. This is why I'm preaching from Romans 8 today and in the upcoming few sermons because we need this, starting with me. It's a rare chapter Um, both in its richness, but also in its scope. It covers many things from death to life, um, from slavery to freedom, from justification all the way to glorification. It speaks of suffering, but also hope of the new heavens and the new earth. It is one of the best known and loved chapters. But here's the question for us this morning. How can we accept Romans 8.1? I read it, beautiful, for those of us who struggle and say we are not good enough. And we need to try harder. Oh, we feel like a failure. God surely will give up. If we're thinking this way, how can the words of Romans 8.1 possibly help us when we are indoctrinated with these lies? Here's the answer. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient to make our standing before God secure. The finished work of Jesus is enough for those who don't feel that they are good enough to make our position before God firm without falling or failing. He is sufficient, and so we can be secure. We're going to look at the first four four verses because I want you to be clear about the work of Christ so that you can be certain about the security in the Spirit. Since vague teaching will only lead to fearful lives, we need to be clear That maybe the one word summary of Romans 8 is security. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He starts with good news in verse 1. For those of you struggling to believe truth moment by moment, for those who are overly critical of yourselves, for those of you who feel you are not good enough, he starts with truth in verse 1, with the climax, with the answer to these struggles. Now we try to figure out how this can be true and how it can help us in our everyday lives. We start with God. God, who has revealed himself through creation. He has created us in his image to know him. And so through creation and through our conscience, we can know some things about who God is. This God has revealed himself through the law. In Romans eight, we read, uh, Romans 7, we read that this law is holy, righteous, and good. Because it comes from a God who is holy, righteous, and good. And the law reveals the heart of God. And it reveals the demands of God from his people. And we are saved not by the law because then we would have to perfectly obey the law. Let me say it again. If we are going to be saved by the law, we must be perfect in obeying it. 
For if we break the law at one point, we are guilty of breaking all of it, James 2 says. The law has no room for mercy. It leaves no room for faults. It is not graded on a curve. Perfection is the standard. And the problem is that we are sinful. If you want to read Romans 1, 2, and 3, you will see that we are sinful. I just gave it away. You don't have to read it. That's all he says over and over. Both Gentiles as well as Jews. Jews who knew better, who had the covenant and the circumcision and the law and the prophets. They knew better, but the Jews as well as the Gentiles, those in covenant outside, are sinful. Romans 3 says all are sinful. There is none righteous, no one who is good. The ruin of sin is total. It covers every area of our lives. It's like poisonous gas that is leaked in the building. The poisonous gas leaked in the building goes everywhere. Every corner of the building, every closet, every room. Sin, like poison, has gone everywhere in our lives, affecting and infecting our minds and hearts, our affections, our reasoning, our decisions, our behavior, what is seen and what is unseen. So we're guilty before God, and we're polluted by sin. So, so what can the law do? The law cannot make us righteous. No one who has a beating heart and breathes air is able to keep the law of God perfectly, and so attaining righteousness by works. The law says, do this and live. But we are sinful and we can't. So the problem is not with the law, but with our sinful hearts. The law only brings us knowledge of our wrongdoing. It exposes our sin. It shows us our faults. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law, what? Comes knowledge of sin. When we look at the law, we realize how sinful we are. Romans 7.7, 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So we take our crooked life next to the perfect law and we can clearly see the problem. That we are far from living a straight life before God. We are condemned by the law. It exposes our sin and also it energizes our sin. Social media reveals how wicked we are, right? Social media reveals what's in the hearts of people. It exposes the sin. But also social media becomes an opportunity. It, it allows sin to come forth. It, it promotes sin in some way. So the problem is not the program, but with the heart. And the law does the same. Romans 7, 8 says that sin takes the opportunity through the law to produce more and more sin in our lives. According to 8, 2, we are under law that only brings sin and Death And so the law only exposes our sins, but also energizes our sins in that the sin uses the opportunity of the law to bring us more and more into a life of sin. You tell a child, don't do this, what do they do? They do it. The law energizes and encourages them to sin in some sense. The problem is with the heart. St. Augustine, law was given that grace might be sought. Yes? But grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. So we have the law, it shows us how sinful we are, and we go after grace, we need grace. And when we have grace, we realize that the law is fulfilled, and we are okay before God. And this good news, this help comes only by the grace of God. Romans 8.3 says, for God. This is a follow-up to that beautiful passage on the gospel from Romans 3.21-26. 
You'll need a few hours to read that later. He starts with, but God. Three chapters of judgment, end of Romans 3, but God. More talk of judgment and sin, Romans 8, but God. My favorite two-word phrase in the Bible. All hope is lost, but God. We are judged, but God. We need a right standing before God, but we can't, but God. With God, it is possible. Let me say that again. This is not about doing more, trying more, trying harder. The answer does not come from within us. We cannot say that the answer is in us. Believe in No, we don't believe in ourselves. We believe in Him. Because the answer comes from Him. We see this explained in chapter 3, but experienced in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see how this good news changes us. In chapter 5, we see Adam, who is from the earth, but also the second Adam, who is from heaven. We see Adam who was the head and leader of the old creation, and also the second Adam, the head of the new creation. And just as sin and death came through one man, who was our head and our representative, so also salvation and life comes through Christ, who is our head and our representative. Verse 3, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He was not sent in the likeness of flesh, but real flesh. He was just like us. He did not come in sinful flesh because he was pure. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was pure and perfect. If he had sinned just once, there would be no atonement, salvation, gospel, or life. But he did not sin. He is fully God and fully man. And that is why he is able to fully save us. St. Anselm of the 12th century said, In order to represent God to us, Jesus had to be true God. And in order to represent us to God, he had to be true man. In order to save us, he had to be God. In order to save us, he had to be man. And so here we have the God-man being sent to earth. God did not spare him, but sent him out of love, we read in Romans 5, 8, who died on the cross for our sins. Christ came under the law, perfectly obeyed the law. He was the holy and innocent, unstained high priest, Hebrews 7. He was declared righteous. He was declared not guilty. He was seen to be innocent by Pilate, but also the man hanging on the cross. On his last day, even the soldiers said, truly this was the Son of God. They were seeing that there is something different about him, but he was condemned for our sins. He was condemned in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? He knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin. And he became sin for us. Remember, beloved, the goal of Romans 8.1. We are seeing how this can be true. He starts off and declares, There is therefore now no condemnation. That word for condemnation is used only two other times in the New Testament, in Hebrews, in Romans 5, 16, and 18. So when you go back and you read that passage, you realize that disobedience came through one man. Righteousness and obedience through another. Sin and death came through one man. And truly in the other, there's no condemnation, but there's righteousness. There was judgment through one man, but there's justification in life for all men. 
He drank of the cup of God's wrath, and there is no drop left for you. Because he died on the cross for you, the debt is paid. Because he took your place, the accuser cannot hold things against you. Because you are declared not guilty, listen carefully, there is no court in heaven or on earth that can hold you guilty because you are declared not guilty by the finished work of Christ. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. When you doubt about being good enough of a Christian, remind yourself that Jesus was good enough and has done enough so that you are more than enough always and forever. Now you might say, listen, this is heavy doctrine. It's early in the morning. I have not had my coffee. Why are we starting with such heavy teaching? Because if we are vague about our doctrine of Christ and his work, we will be unsure about our salvation. Unclear, vague teaching easily leads to either error and false teaching or lots of fearful living. And so we must look at this truth, stand on this truth, so we can have joy and peace. So do not shy away from the heaviness of Romans 8, for life is found there. As long as Christ and his work are outside of us, as long as we look at it from a distance, it cannot help us. Simply knowing this will not do anything for you. This will be sufficient only for those who believe. We must come close to him and embrace this truth. It is good for you only if you believe. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's by faith. By faith alone. Just like our father Abraham, about whom we read in chapter 4. You see, he was too old and his wife was unable to have children anyway. But God made him a promise. Here was a man, did not grow up in Sunday school, came from a pagan background. And God just came to him with a promise. Children and life and blessings and land. Before the law was given. That was hundreds of years later. And he took that promise and trusted in him. Genesis 15, it was credited to him as righteousness. Here was a man, our father Abraham, declared righteous, not from the law that was away later, but simply by trusting in God's promise. And that is the kind of faith we ought to have. Romans 4.20 No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen, fully convinced that God is able to do What he has promised. So believe in Christ. Do not waver back and forth. Do not steer back and forth. Be fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. Stand before him by faith. And he will cleanse your record clean. Lean on Christ today. He is strong and he will not fall. You cannot walk alone. You cannot walk. You are stumbling Get up and just lean on him. He's like a strong wall. It will not crumble. That is what faith is. We see our pain, our sin, our brokenness, our guilt, our pollution. And we lean on him for life. We receive from him life. We accept him to give us life. And so the answer is not faith. The answer is Christ. The answer is not leaning. The answer is the wall. 
The answer is Christ who saves us through that instrument of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And so when you trust in Christ, you become in Christ. Romans 8.1, who is this for? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.2, for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, his sacrifice is sufficient for you. He is offering you this life. Receive him and you will be in him. So that in Christ you have died with him and been raised to new life with him and you have been raised up with him and you are seated with him in the heavenly places. In Christ, that is our identity. We, we have been baptized in Christ. We have died with Christ. We have risen with Christ. Everything in the Christian life is in Christ. You are no longer your old self. Do not think of yourself as a Christian who is failing, who is not good enough, who has to do more. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity comes not from your feelings. It comes not from your destructive thoughts. It comes not from your works and accomplishments. Your identity does not come from the words of people, from the compliments or from the hurtful words of others. It comes in Christ. When you get up in the morning and when you sleep at night, be mindful of this. This is who we are in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Our standing before God is in Christ alone. Our security is in Christ alone. Our sanctification, our glorification is is in Christ alone. So are you good enough? Of course not. Do you need to try harder? Yeah. But will you fail? Of course. But Jesus took our sins, became sin for us, was condemned in our place, and instead it gives us his righteousness. We must preach this truth to our hearts day by day, hour by hour. We cannot hear this good news enough. When it comes to the doctrine of justification, Martin Luther said that it cannot be beaten into our ears too much. We need this. We need to hear this over and over. In fact, if I was going to preach one sermon to you, it would be this passage. I have been so burdened about this this week. It would be this passage of what Christ has done and by faith, who you are in Christ, living a righteous life, secure in him. I would want to tell you over and over and over. In fact, there was someone this week who was struggling who is overwhelmed, who has fallen apart. I've prayed for this person. I've tried to help this person. I've tried to counsel this person. When they brought up issues again, I did not know what to say. So I said to them, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. And they looked at me. I said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I have nothing else to say. They needed to hear that. That they are free. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free once and for all. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And and who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Condemnation? What condemnation? Jesus took care of that. He forgave us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the evil one. I'll say it again. He disarmed the evil one. So the accuser comes. He has nothing to hold against us. Christ ripped up that debt that he was holding against us. And so for those of you who are struggling under the reign of the law, like in Romans 7, 8, 1 is a breath of fresh air. We are no longer under the reign of sin or under the reign of the law. So we must be vigilant to speak truth to our hearts. 
When we are overwhelmed by false guilt and the evil one reminds us, wow, Christ did all that for you. You're really going to do that? Or don't worry about sin. He loves you anyway. He's going to go back and forth to take sin lightly or to accuse us again and again, back and forth to overwhelm us. And our defense is Romans 8.1. We must keep the breastplate of righteousness upon us because this is war. The burden of the law is not a problem anymore because we have died to the law. We see this idea of marriage in Romans 7. When the husband or wife dies, the other one is free from the law of marriage. And also, if when we look at our lives, we are free because we have died to the law. We are no longer bound by that anymore. Instead, we are alive in Christ. And so, you have been released from trying to be good enough by the law. You are free. And if God is for us, if God, since God is for us, who can be against us? And so, put down your, when you put down your garden, Start drifting in self-judgment and the feelings of false guilt comes. Remind yourself of what Christ has done. Your hope, your justification is found in him alone. So take that broken record that plays again and again of how horrible of a Christian you are and you're not good enough for heaven. Take that and break that record and throw it away and resist the devil. After spending 27 years in a South African prison, Nelson Mandela walked out. After 10,000 hours in bondage, he said the following, quote, As I finally walked through those gates, I felt, even at the age of 71, that my life was beginning new. You're no longer under, under condemnation. In Christ, life starts new. There's more. How much more? That's my favorite three-word phrase in the Bible. Romans 5 says that a few times. How much more? If he saved us when we were sinners, he died on the cross, now that we are in Christ, how much more is he going to bless us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms? If he has freed us from condemnation, he's not going to leave us there, but he's going to give us positive righteousness. If sin kept us in the negative, and this justification, this no condemnation brings us to zero, then there's this positive righteousness that he brings us forward. He doesn't just release us out of prison and leaves us there. He has taken us away from condemnation and now brings us into a right and secure standing before God. And so justification, some people jokingly say, is justified never sin. And I don't think that's sufficient enough. It might be better to say, that it's just if I'm already perfect in the perfect life of Christ right now. Are you following? Verse 4 says that we're, he condemned sin in the flesh, but he didn't leave us there. It says the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in us. So we are no longer condemned, but God, in God the Son fulfilled the law, kept the law, fulfilled that righteousness, and so in him we are right. We can be right. We can live Right. And you can be very, very sure about this. Romans 8.30 And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right after being justified, it says he also glorified. But look at this. It boggles my mind. Glorification is in the past tense. Yes, he justified. But it says he glorified past tense. But glorification being made new perfectly, that's in the future. Why would Paul get his grammar wrong? It's not. It's truth. He is so certain that those who have started this golden chain from past eternity will reach the end. He says it in the past tense. 
He is so sure that when God starts to work in your life, He is faithful to complete it. He is so sure that when Christ saves you, Christ saves you. And so He says, past tense, you are glorified. We can have that kind of assurance as we live our everyday life. In Adam, we were declared guilty, but in the second Adam, we are declared righteous. Condemnation doesn't make us sinful. It it just declares our standing. And so in the same sense, this justification, it's a declaration. It's a work of a judge, not the surgeon on our hearts. He looks at us and he declares righteous. He looks at us and says, declares you are clean. He looks at you and says, you are acceptable. Not you will be, but right now. If you are trusting in Christ right now, he looks at you. And he doesn't say, I'm putting up with you. Don't ever feel that. Don't ever feel that God is just putting up with you, just just dealing with you, but one day he's going to throw you out. He looks at you and says, you are righteous. He says, you are clean. Look at yourself in Adam, and though you have done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ, and you see that though you have done nothing, you are declared righteous. And that is the start of the Christian life. You are declared righteous based on his works, not your own. You cannot try to add your own good works to this. If we try to add our own good works so that we become justified, then we're walking into false teaching. Purely on his good works so that he gets all the praise and glory, we are able to experience this exchange. We give him sin, he gives us righteousness. It's a good deal. It looks good. Maybe not for him, but for us. We give him sin and condemnation and he fulfills that righteousness and he gives it to us and he gives us life. And that is the blessing. We need to teach this exchange. We need to speak about this righteousness that of Christ and in Christ so that we can have righteousness for Christ. This is the gospel the kids need this week. This is the gospel that we need to be speaking about regularly. Crew leaders, listen carefully. You, you have to know the gospel inside out. And, and as you're walking, speak about the gospel. And crew leaders, as, as they're in their Bible lesson time, That's not the time where you get distracted. That's the time when you pray for their hearts. This is the gospel that we need. This is the gospel that the kids need this week. But there's more. We start with the life of Christ. And by faith we have life in Christ and with Christ. And then we have life for Christ. You see that? It's of, in, and then for. We cannot live for Christ if we are not in Christ already. His life is the how and why of the Christian life. His life enables us to live for him. You don't need to try and keep a perfect spiritual GPA to keep your scholarship of spiritual life. Jesus has kept the perfect score. So by faith, the scholarship is yours. So you move forward, not with fear, but with joy. Do not live fearful that, oh no, at any point I'm going to lose the scholarship. He's given it to you. Because it wasn't based on your good GPA, but his perfect GPA. And so with joy you can live the Christian life. With love for God you can live the Christian life. You see, there's a difference there. Either you're going to live the Christian life with fear, or this sense of, I should, with guilt, with a burden of the law, or you're going to understand this, and that is going to move you to live for Christ with with joy. With a love for the Father, not fear from the Father. We are able to keep the law out of love for him, and that is the true path of obedience. Don't take sin lightly. 
Romans 6 says that you have died to sin and now you are slaves to righteousness. This is not an easy way out. We are now slaves of righteousness. We are slaves of Christ, but we love that. That is a good place to be because of who he is. By the help of the Spirit, confess and turn from your judgmental attitude towards others. Stop being so quick to see the faults in others and instead pray for them. Stop being so resistant to accountability, but be quick to confess when others point out sin in your life, especially your family. Because of all this is true, let us be all the more zealous in cleansing our hearts and running after holiness. Because of all this is true, do not allow frustration to brew in your heart against God as if he owes you blessings. Don't demand things from him and then be angry if he has not blessed you or met your needs according to your plan. Understand that all of this is in Christ and from Christ. It's all grace. So whatever it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly, receive that as grace. And trust in the good Father to take care of you. If you are someone who is mentoring a younger believer, be careful how you address these issues. It's very easy, it's too easy to give them the law. You should. You should read your Bible. You should tithe. You should this, and we, and we go back to Romans 7, we go back to the law. So if you are discipling, whether it be your child, or a younger student, or a new believer, remind them of the blessings of the gospel. Let them understand the life of Christ and the life in Christ. When you feel that you're not good enough, remember that the perfect God-man lived the perfect life and died for your sins. When you assume you need to try harder, remember that your standing before God is not based on your works, but his finished work. You are free, but more than that, you are righteous in him. Your sufficiency is in Jesus. Your standing is righteous, and you are secure. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you so that you obey. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Father, I pray that we would get that. Oh, we've struggled way too much. 